It's sure good to see you. I have the perfect message for today. Are you ready? <laughs> it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> Hopefully it will be delivered well. <laughs> um, I want to, as we get started, I want to just echo what Monty said. It's, it's uh, again, wonderful seeing uh, young collegians coming home uh, or just whether it's that or families being together, uh, it's a great joy to see that. We are going to look at our memory verse today, our memory verse. Someone want to stand up and quote our memory verse? We never do this, do we? Huh? Okay. We'll let it slide this time unless somebody has another effort they want to Give a shot here. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. You, you know, you've been working on the memory verses. Uh huh. Well, <laughs> well, we uh, want to keep encouraging that as we go into 2014, um, having memory verses that we as a congregation work on. Uh, hiding the word of God in your heart is the best thing you can do. Um, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And um, it is the, the light unto our pathway. Is It's God's word. Okay. All right. Well, we're in 1 John then. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at our uh, verses 9 and 10 here throughout this message. But I believe that um, this topic that we're going to look at, uh, you can follow along in the generic uh, outline <laughs> that you have in your bulletin, if you like. Um, but this is uh, about God is love. We've been talking about the attributes of God, and we come to this Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, and it's what everyone likes to hear about God being a God of love. So God is love, and love is dot, dot, dot. And you're, you're to fill in the blank with your life. You're to fill in the blank with understanding what the outflow of this idea of love is. The study of the attributes of God that we've been doing over the last few months is so important. It's, it's probably the best way to stir up a hunger for God. Is Maybe that's what's missing in your life. A hunger for God. You've got your sights set on other things in life. Uh, obviously, you need to be responsible with your work and your family, etc., etc. But do you have a hunger for God in your life? And that's the idea that uh, this topic brings in this whole subject of the attributes of God. Study them more and you'll be hungering for God more and more. There'll be a greater and deeper hunger for him in your life. So today, we need to start by evaluating this very familiar topic of the love of God. Um, here's, here's some things that pop up on my radar right away, and maybe they come to your mind also. People can tend to think in these ways about God and his love. I, I think of God as not really caring for me that much. I'm not a, I'm not a Billy Graham I'm not a, a Corey Ten Boom. I'm not a Johnny Erickson Tata. All those people are really special, aren't they? 
And so I kind of tend to think that God doesn't really care about me. I'm not one of his really popular kids. You think that way? Here's another one. I think of God as being upset or disappointed with me a lot of the time. You think that? See, that does come to people's minds when we are in general living life and something, you know, thinking about God. A lot of times we just think, well, God's just kind of disappointed with me. Um, he, he's kind of got that frown looking down at me. Uh, you and I need to think about these things because how we, you know, if we're thinking in those ways, uh, God doesn't really care about me or God's kind of, uh, just always upset with me. I I'm one of, you know, those kind of guys. If that's how we're thinking, we've got false notions about God and you need to remember that you're thinking in a false way about God. Now, I'm not here this morning to then open up and say, well, God's our heavenly grandfather. He loves me and I get to do whatever I want. Okay, it's not that either. See, it shows how you and I, we as people can go from one extreme to another extreme, all in this uh, uh, world of thinking about God's love. And you could go to most people on, out in the street and just say, uh, do you know that God loves you? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're thinking about God's love is what they've maybe picked up. Who knows where they picked it up? But it ends up being a real shallow understanding of God. And really the false notions that we have about God and, and his love. Let me add this thought. They're idolatrous thoughts. They're idolatrous thoughts. And so we need to do our best to focus in on what the Bible says about that God is love. We need to have a better biblical understanding. And love is... What is love? You know, and so often, it's like, especially with our young people, they equate love with the warm and fuzzies. It's, it's just about, you know, being blown over by some singing star, pop star. Oh, you know, I, you know, all sorts of things come when we start talking about that God is love. And we equate, you know, uh, shallow definitions with, with this uh, amazing truth that God is love. Love is an action Love is a certain conduct. Love is a choice that seeks the best in the object that is being loved. Okay? Love is that action or conduct or choice which seeks the best for that individual. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. Love is sacrificial on God's part. Love is commitment on God's part. And so often when we are seeing love in action, we do not see a commitment of love, a sacrifice of love. It's all about what, what will you do for me is really what's driven by this love. So it's been a westernized kind of a thing. Well, so we go to this passage. It's been our memory verse this month. First John 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us or 
by this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only son, his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We could pull out all sorts of verses in the Bible uh, and, you know, kind of use as a springboard for this message. But the one that we've been looking at throughout this month is 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And so we start with this thought that God sent Christ into this world. That's what's clearly stated. God sent Christ into this world and Christ was sent then, number one, to show his love, to show his love. Now, the, the term manifested, you see it in verse nine there, by this the love of God was manifested in us. That, that's in the aorist tense. And it, it's dealing with what, what's a past and completed action. Very important, isn't that? A past and completed action. God manifested, it's past tense and completed, done deal. He manifested his love. Okay? Shows the permanency, the permanency of that action. He manifested love in the arrival of Jesus, in the sending of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate here uh, this coming week and, uh, you know, for many all month long. And really, as somebody said earlier today, it ought to be, no, it was last night. It ought to be all year long. The idea that God sent his love. It's a demonstration of his love. That's the idea of manifest. He demonstrated his love. He sent Christ into the world. And here's the perfect son of God sent into the world, a fallen world, a condemned world to a resistant people, a prideful people. Turn over to John chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, you're in First John. Turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. We'll look at a couple of verses here in, in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, where it says, And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. And also in John chapter 3, um, it's in verse 18 and 19, um, in verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So it's, it's clear that he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him, didn't come to his own. He came to his own and those were his own did not receive him. It's also displayed in Romans chapter 5. And Romans chapter 5, uh, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, this is a part of the Christmas message, not just that it was a little baby born. God sent his only begotten son, which that phrase is also very important for us because he's the unique son, the one, in, uh, one of a kind son, the only begotten. Okay? And all this was to, back in 1 John chapter 4 now, 1 John chapter 4, all this was to show his love. He manifested his love. Okay? Then, secondly, that we might live through him. So secondly, to share his life. 
Here's this amazing concept, this amazing thought. Notice the purpose statement or the purpose phrase there in verse 9. Love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that, there's that purpose statement, so that we might live through him. Okay? The idea of living through him. Again, back to um, a reference back to John chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but in him was life and the life was the light of men. In other words, the life was Jesus, the light of men by which they may truly see. But what are men labeled as? What's their condition? Men and women are blind in their sin. They're blind. Some of you right here in this room, you're blind. Spiritually speaking, you're blind. And the reason is you're, you're uh, depending on your good works, your uh, effort, your being religious. And you could be faithful in church attendance all your life, but you're depending on the wrong thing. You're depending on yourself and your good works. And so you're blind and you need to come to come to the manger, come to Jesus and see that he is the way, the truth and the life. Put your faith in Jesus, the person of Jesus, not in some system, not in some tradition, not in some religion. Okay. Christ came to share his life. And in that, here, here are four breakdowns of him sharing his life by way of regeneration. The word regeneration means to give life. Okay? That's new life in Christ given only by God. It's done only by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3. You must be born again. You're born by the Spirit. Not by your will. Not by some, you know, of something of man's doing or man's choosing. You're born again by God. We joked about this with the men on our Friday morning Bible study. Not a one of you could uh, have somehow communicated to your mom and dad about having another child and you being born. <laughs> That's stupid. You know. That's physical birth. It wasn't like you could have some counsel and some comment and input about being born into this life. And the same thing goes with God. You were born again from above. His work, His doing. He gave you the gift of faith to respond. It's amazing. He was the one that brought it about. He started stirring up your heart in being convicted over certain things in your life and you started weighing it out and looking, oh, well, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit that started in you and working you along to come to faith in Christ. Okay? So it's by, he shares his life by his work of regeneration. He shares his life by his work of redemption and that's where he buys you out of slavery. And then gives you a liberated life, right? Exodus, the people of Israel. There's a picture of it there. And that really happened. That was a historical event. But it points to a reality in the spiritual realm where you are set free from sin. 
Again, have you been set free from sin? Do you know that? So it was bought, the, the redemption aspect of a liberated life it was bought by his death, shed blood, poured out for the remission of your sins, for the liberating power that is now yours in Christ. Also, he shares his life by way of his reconciliation, which just talks about, we talked about in Sunday school this morning, just talks about a restored relationship, a restored life. You're brought back into the way you're supposed to be with God. That's the Christian life. And so it's not just a bunch of head knowledge. It's life that's now applied into your your life. It's the Christ life. Regeneration, redemption, reconciliation, and then future resurrection. And that's going to be physical. That's not just some spiritual kind of dream thing. That's a physical thing. Now, you might die, get buried. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? That's what happens when we die. But being a believer, being a child of God, there's going to be a physical resurrection. There's going to be a physical resurrection. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. We, you know, I don't always demand that, but come on, this is the slow pitch here. You know, you whack that thing out of the park. <laughs> See, and that physical resurrection. There's eternal life. There's eternal life. See, that's what we always equate. God is love and oh, I get eternal life. I get eternal life because he loves me. But see, what was in between? Here's God's love and future resurrection, eternal life. What was in between? Here's the idea of, are you living a liberated, restored life? You living in the power of his resurrection right now? And that's what he wants to share. That's what he's saying right here. Look at it. That we might live through him. And I know, I'm like you. I, I end up, you know, I end up leaning on my own strength and my own, which isn't strength at all. I end up leaning on my own thinking, my own tendencies, my own, my own natural way. Right? And so the Christian is... You know, here we do we do we recognize this love, and here's the purpose behind it, so that you would live through Him. Okay, glorified physical life with God forever and ever in glorified bodies. Okay, so that's what uh, you know. Our first two points there to show Christ was sent into the world to show His love to share his life, and then thirdly, to suffer as our sacrifice. Now, again, we're still talking about God is love. God is love. God's love was shown by sending Christ to suffer as our sacrifice. He came, John the Baptist called out, "There's look, there's the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. He came and he gave his life a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Now here's where we get into verse 10. In your text, look at it. First John 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Again, there's the initiation. It's not that you had anything to offer God. 
You didn't, you didn't work it up in your system to figure I'm going to love God. No, he loved you first. That's what it's saying here. That's the, that's the distinction. And, and again, think of it as you, you are a part of that world that he came into that really would have rejected him, that did reject him. And you and I were sitting there being a part of that rejection of the, of the Messiah. And it wasn't until God started working his spirit in you and I to bring us to conviction of sin and to faith in Christ. It was his work. He, you know, we didn't love him first. He loved us first. So that's, there's verse 10. So in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And there it is again, sent his son, not just into the world. Now it's even more deeper He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So there is now this demonstration that he sent Christ in the world to suffer as our sacrifice. He paid the penalty instead of us. Now, if you, listen, if you have not put your faith in Christ, you will end up facing the wrath of God on your own. So think of that. You will face the wrath of God on your own. And for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, he's already taken the wrath of God against sin. He already did it. So he already showed his love to you. Good stuff. It's just that we don't talk in these ways about when we say, oh, God loves you. And and we just let it hang there. And it doesn't go anywhere. But John says, hey, let's go somewhere with this thought. God loves you. And he sent his son into the world. Not just to remain as a part of the Christmas decorations. Got it? (laughs) So, listen. We talk about the attributes of God. We need to understand this then. Since, Since God is perfect. Since God is holy and just and righteous and true. Then if that's true, then sin must be punished. And God's law and his justice demands for that. And even in our realm of thinking, we tend to think, well, uh, maybe God can do kind of a shortcut on some of this justice stuff. I mean, especially so-and-so is really nice. And -and so-and-so is really nice. And, you know, God can maybe do a shortcut for, you know, my wife, especially. She's, you know, really, you know, Mary Poppins kind of thing, you know, perfect perfect in every way and and i would think based on my standard and my measurement that god could do a little shortcut for noreen well maybe if not noreen uh, certainly her mom okay and god doesn't do a shortcut for her mom why god's just god is just now stay with this since sin must be punished Because God's law and justice demands for that. Now comes Jesus. And that's what we have here in this passage. That's what being the propitiation means. He stepped in and he took on the wrath of God for us. He took on the full-fledged wrath of God. There it is. It's on Jesus. And that's that's... That's the best Christmas present ever. Bar none. Nothing comes close to that. That he took 
what is rightfully yours and mine. See, you and I owe a debt. We owed a debt that couldn't, what? We could never repay it. Never, ever, ever in a billion years. We could never repay the debt we owe God because of our sin. And yet here came Christ. Perfect life, perfect sacrifice, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the Jews. Why didn't he say that? Because he took away the sin of the world. Condition? You got to what? Believe. So if you die without believing in Christ, your life, your sin will be upon you and you have to pay. That's the message of Christmas also. And so he absorbed the wrath. He took on the wrath of God as his punishment. First Peter 3, 18. First Peter 3, 18. You don't have to turn there. Write it down. Christ also suffered once for sins. He doesn't have to get back up at the cross and suffer again. He did it once for sins. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Propitiation is when sacrifice is made. Here's a definition of it. Okay. Propitiation is when sacrifice is made that fully, properly, thoroughly satisfies the wrath of God. So the wrath of God is going to be poured out on sin and the wrath of God was poured out on your savior, Jesus. And so that ought to bring about a greater sense, a deeper welling up of love and praise back to him for what he did. Because sometimes when we say, well, God is love and we just have kind of a shallow understanding of that. Then when tough stuff happens to your life, it's like, well, you know, I guess God doesn't care for me that much because I'm not getting anything here from God. I'm not getting release. I'm not getting uh, freedom here. I'm not getting, you know, my way. And we don't say that, but that's a lot of times what's going on in our our minds because our minds are, apart from Christ and his power, our minds are bent on ourselves. So he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we can say, I am saved, and what then are you saved from? Because sometimes you ask people that question, you know, you talk to them about it, and they say, oh yeah, I'm saved. Ask them, what are you saved from? What are you saved from? And a lot of times people say, hell. I'm saved from hell. Well, that's right. But before you're saved from hell, you're saved from God's wrath. God's the one you're saved from, his wrath. Go back to Egypt. Here's the Exodus. What happened? The angel of death comes to do his duty of killing those that don't have the the blood over their doorposts. And what who who is that? Who's killing the babies? Oh, that was Satan. No, it wasn't. That was God. God in his punishment against sin. And all this does is, again, if, if you are a believing person, believing in Christ, all this is doing is, is, is showing the depth of his love. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Turn there. You gotta see this. You're maybe familiar with it, but those that aren't, you need to look at this with your own eyes. Ephesians chapter 3. 
Here's Paul's prayer for believers. For you. Are you a Christian? Here's Paul's prayer for you. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this. Ephesians 3.14. For this reason. I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with power. Through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. There we go. Oh, yeah, we like that. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to now comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. See, this is what we need. It's, it's like we're, we need to get into the deeper ocean water with the, the idea of the love of God, not just a Lahontan Reservoir. We, there's a depth there that... Are we appreciating this? Is this what drives worship you know, in our lives? And that's the idea, that it would. This is an astounding reality. And yeah, I'm supposed to work it up here about this. But in our lives throughout the week, it's something that God wants you to have it stimulated and stirred up in your life. Why? For worship. For service. For trusting Him. And all too often we get caught up with the dangly trinkets of life. And so I want to be an encouragement in this way, brothers and sisters. I want to be an encouragement in this about understanding. Let's go a little deeper in this issue of what the love of God really is getting at. And John has it. He nails it. And he brings it to this issue. He sent Christ to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. Mark down 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called sons of God, and such we are. He's not saying that in a kind of a, you know, boring way. He's going, whoa! We're sons of God! This is amazing! Why? Because I know where I came from. I know what kind of a sinner I was. I know, you know, this whole issue of how deep was my sin. You know, how... How thorough has my sin been? How thorough, you know, the more we get that contrast and understand that contrast, the more we can say, God's love is amazing. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. And then Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us or purify for himself a people. For his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Titus 2, 14. Okay, so he sent his son to show his love. He sent his son to share his life. He sent his son to sacrifice for our sins. And fourthly, it builds to this. He sent his son to satisfy all who truly treasure Jesus. See, there's some here, again, they say, oh yeah, I'm a believer. But your treasure is isn't Jesus. 
And that's what we need to turn to, folks. We need to turn to the issue that Jesus is our treasure, not heaven. Heaven's great, but heaven is about Jesus. Your treasure isn't heaven. Your treasure is Jesus. And that's what ignites praise now because it's not about a a system. It's about Jesus, the individual man, the God man. See, another characteristic of love, listen, is just in general, another characteristic of love is that it takes pleasure. It takes pleasure in its object. That's what we understood when we who are married got married. It was not just, you know, like, oh, I, I got to get married. Rats. <laughs> it's, it's not it. And, it. and it wasn't, you know, because, uh, you know, it was an arranged marriage and, you know, all that. No. There's, here's pleasure in it. That's the picture in marriage. It pictures God's love for you and I. And so here's the thing. You know, we get back to evaluating things in life as we see things. And we say our very lifestyles, our habits, our patterns of life show how we tend to sink ourselves into the gifts of life, not the giver of life. Got that? We tend to submerge ourselves into the gifts of life, not the giver of life. And we're just kind of like the little tiny children at Christmas opening their presents and not bothering to look to the one who gave it. But all we're concerned about is what we got. And see, God wants you and I to mature in our love for him. And his love, again, is beyond measure. And so... He wants us to see where true delight lies. Where does true delight lie? In just having everything go your way? In, in just having the, the coolest family around that, you know, whatever. Having the cool stuff of life. Is that what God wants for you? God loves you. God loves you. He already declared it. He already did it. It's a done statement. It doesn't need to be added to at all. He already loves you. And he wants the best for you. But most of us don't get it. Because we keep looking at the, the stuff of life, not at the gift of, not at the, the giver, G, who is Jesus. He's, he's the one. If we continue on that course, looking at the gifts of life and all the trinkets of this life, and if we continue on that course, we're going to continue in being a shallow and flimsy person when it comes to difficulties in life. See, God wants to stabilize you in the right things. Why do we think life, you know, why do we think that life ought to be a life of ease and comfort? That's what we've grown up with in America. Is this the life worth aiming for? That I've got everything in place and, and everything's comfortable and all the bills are paid and I can and travel and I can, you know, do my thing. 
Is that what this life is about? Is that worth shooting for in your life? And again, when we aim for that kind of living and that kind of a habit of life, we submerge ourselves in what the world offers. And we've kind of gotten hooked like a fish. We've gotten hooked and pulled into the current of here's the cool stuff of this world. And I, I agree. There's a lot of cool stuff that we can own and uh, be excited about. Oh, yeah, great. But when we do that, when we get hooked and taken away, so to speak, by the, the things of this world, we are not to love the things of this world, right? We're, we're being caught in that. And as we get caught in those things that carry us down the, the current of the, the ways of the world, simultaneously we lose sight of the true treasure and we don't have the joy and the peace that he offers. That's why we're in the condition we're in, so many of us. We get discouraged or disgruntled or discontent. It's because we don't have our eyes on the true treasure, Jesus. I want to show you this. Um, I think this is important. We're in First John. Turn over to the little letter of James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. James is, uh, who did he write this letter to? He wrote it to Christians. And he's talking to Christians and he's saying, you adulteresses, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Notice what he says now. Notice he says, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. What's going on here? Folks, here's love. This is love. He's calling us, you know, he, he just smacks it right there in our faces. You adulteresses. And then he says, but don't you get it? In verse 5, he... God jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So, what's one of the most uh, well-known pictures that God's love, uh, as to how God's love is depicted in the Bible? We already mentioned it. It's marriage. Marriage is one of the pictures that we have that we actually can, you know, uh, be a part of, be married And yet that's a picture that God has given people everywhere of his love for his people. It's really the greatest display of love that we know of, right? Is there, is there, you know, the, the idea of a a husband and a wife, because that's, that's what marriage is. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So that's the picture of marriage, a husband and a wife. Okay, And as a believer then, if you've come to faith in Christ, you are a part of what? You're the part of the body, but you're also called as a part of the bride of Christ. 
you're, you're, you're the bride of Christ. Think of that now. Keep going with this motif, this thought. Okay? You're, you're a part of the bride of Christ. We're waiting for who? We're waiting for the bridegroom to come. Okay? So we want to be dressed and ready, right? I hope you, you know, I hope you want that because Jesus, the bridegroom, is going to come again. We are his bride. And he gave, he gave his people many warnings about their spiritual affairs. I don't mean that in a good way. I mean that in a bad way. He gave, God has given us warnings regarding spiritual adultery. Okay. We, what do you think of when, you know, when you, if, you know, some, uh, upstanding man who's married and he's running around Fallon having, you know, three or four different affairs with other women. Say, well, they're my old girlfriends from high school. Well, what kind of faithfulness would be demonstrated there? What kind of love would be demonstrated there? And see, that's the picture that God wants us to get regarding our relationship with him. We're married, if you will. We're married to Christ. And he's warning, saying, don't get into these spiritual affairs. You're going to get burned. He talks about that in Proverbs. Okay? So, there's some important things for us to connect and understand. And we go back to this. The love of God has already been demonstrated to us in Christ's coming, but also then in his dying. It's shown so that in Christ, we would see Christ as our all in all, that we might find true joy and satisfaction in him. Okay? In closing, I want you to look at Psalm 81. There's a couple of verses in Psalm that I want you to look at. So turn there, Psalm 81. Now, um, if you want to read more about this kind of uh, build up here, I encourage you, you know, John Piper's book, Desiring God, will help you to see it, you know, in a clearer way or maybe in a more thorough way than we're giving it right here. John Piper's book, Desiring God. We're talking now, uh, here's the, this is the final point. The issue of how God has displayed his love, and it comes to this, so that he, he sent his son to satisfy all who truly treasure him. And Psalm 81, verse 10, follow along. It says, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. There's that redemption and then he says what? <laughs> Open your mouth wide and I'm going to fill it. What's that pointing to? Simple satisfaction issue, folks. Simple being glad in God. Okay? That's how we understand it. Look over at Psalm chapter 90. Just a couple of pages over. Psalm 90, verse 14. It says, oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. 
along with many other similar statements from Scripture. It's to help secure your heart to love and trust God. So men, dump the old spiritual girlfriends. Women, dump the old spiritual other attractions and other boyfriends. Dump it. Keep your focus set on our bridegroom. Jesus coming again. Far deeper and more profound than any person or anything, God has clearly, clearly demonstrated his love to us. This is the very familiar hymn, the love of God. Listen, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the sky of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. We all have different backgrounds, different upbringings, many of which kind of mold and shape our thinking about God as our Father. You know, you, you might have a, a, trouble, a trouble time considering this, you know, of God really loving you. And maybe it is that you don't even have a, a, a father figure or you didn't have one growing up. But I tell you this. He will love you like no other. There is a God who has an everlasting love. An everlasting love. But you need to. If you have not yet come to him. Faith. Jesus Christ. You need to come to him. You need to come to him and trust in him. That's what Christmas is about. And upon doing so, the Bible says he will never, ever, ever leave you. He'll never, ever forsake you. And that's why we can say, this is amazing. This is astounding. Because when we stop and think of what my heart and what your heart is really like, that's what even heightens it even more. But beyond that, it's when we look at at who God is. And that's going to take it to the heavens in regards to praising Him. We've sung some uh, very familiar hymns here this morning, or carols, I should say, Christmas carols. I want to close our time um, with singing. Now, uh, before Noreen comes, there's a little chorus that, we all know I'd like you to just, we're not going to have words. We're just going to sing it. Lord, you are more precious. Lord, you are more precious. I'll lead it out. You close your eyes. You don't have to sing. But if you sing, it's time to sing and worship Jesus, who is the great treasure, the treasure of heaven for eternity. Lord, you are more.
more precious than silver, Lord, you are more costly than gold, Lord, you are more beautiful than diamond, and nothing I desire compares with you. Do it one more time.